Welcome to Peppershock Media's Marketing Expedition Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in marketing and advertising. Now, here's your host, Ray Allen. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen, and the founder of the marketingexpedition.com website and all the fun things that we do when we go on a journey powered by Peppershock Media. All right, so let's uh, get started with our guest today, Diana Freik. Freik. Yep, you got it. Hey, thank you. She believes that business should be a force for good and uses her networking superpowers to drive change in the food, beverage, and wellness industries, specifically in the areas of employment diversity, food equality, and the promotion of sustainable supply chain. She founded and hosts the Gooder Podcast, I love that, uh, where she interviews the powerhouse women leading on every level in food, beverage, and wellness. Diana is a marketing industry executive with 20 years of advising brands from Fortune 50 to startups on how to address their toughest growth challenges. And as a partner and CMO of creative branding firm Retail Voodoo, she uses uh, her expertise in brand development, innovation, consumer markets, marketing, and packaging systems to really help clients generate meaningful and sustainable growth. Tireless and determined, Diana is obsessed with the world of food, beverage, and wellness brands and has been building long-standing client relationships because people trust her to put the right combination of people and business assets together to move mountains. And she lives and works in Seattle and in her spare time enjoys running, reading, cooking, and spending time with her family. Welcome to the show, Diana. Hello. How are you? I am good. I love the, the name Retail Voodoo. Tell, tell me a little bit about that name. Where did it come from? Why is sure. it called that? Yeah, so I would love to take credit for it. It's actually my business partner. I want to say, what year was it? Well, I started working for him, or yeah, I was working for him in 2006. And the agency was called Lemley Design at the time. And as was the trend in agencies, there was this movement away from having agencies um, not be named after the founder owners. It was, it's a big shift. And apparently, it's changing back. But um, <laughs> 2006 came, turned into 2008, which was we call the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we were, David took a hiatus, came back after a year. He worked um, Pampers. Tropicana, a couple of other big brands came back and said, I'm ready to reboot the agency. I want your help with it. Um, but because we're changing it, let's, let's change the name of it. So um, Retail Voodoo had been in the back of his brain for years. And we were noting that the work that we had with consumer packaged goods was impacting performance, um, sales velocity trial in retail in the retail space. So um, we just called it retail voodoo. That's, that's, that there's, we like to say that there's a magic, but really, you know, there's a process. We've got a process and research and data, but so a little bit of a voodoo in the retail space. Right. In marketing, you know, it can be magical, of course. (laughs) I like it. Uh, A little bit of voodoo, a little bit of magic. I love that. Yeah, and it totally makes sense. I think it's it's uh, it's true. You, you, there's a process, but you do have to have a little bit of magic in in what you come up with and, and your creative ideas, right? Yes. 
So, okay, give me an example of something that you have done for, uh, you know, maybe a food or beverage or, or wellness product or, or retail product. Tell me, kind of walk me through, what is it that you've done to help build that brand and, and maybe their bottom line as well? Mm -hmm. Well, our particular area of expertise is kind of like um, brand building, like either it's foundational brand building is really what it is. And we either take brands that are brand new or ones that have been around for a while and we work on the foundation of the brand. So for us, reality exists in language because once you go into creative, it becomes very subjective. Um, and we've all worked with clients, whether internal or external, where the minute you start showing the color blue or a typeface, everybody has an opinion. So for us, the power comes from taking a brand and looking at its DNA, which starts with who's your consumer, who are your real competitors, what does your category look like, what are those ha um, halo categories look like, um, and what is it that you want to do as a brand, what's important to the brand, um, what's important to the brand, and then we, um, and then a little bit of retail reality. So we do a lot of research and we pull it all together. And the end goal is to say, this is who your brand is. This is who you stand, what you stand for. This is your target audience. This is why your brand is going to connect with that audience. Also helps you a little bit with communication strategy. It almost becomes academic, the design translation at that point. Because then with all that information, you can say, oh, well, we don't need to touch the design system. This is actually a communications challenge. Or it might be like, this design system is a needs a complete overhaul and anywhere in between. And we've done that with brands like, um, before my time with Starbucks, David worked on the original Starbucks brand in 1996, all the way to more recent brands like Essential Water, Sahali Snacks, Go Go Squeeze, brands like that and typically when a brand works with us they're coming to us and they're not looking for an academic change um, they are not looking for incremental growth they're looking for radical change well that the brands that tend to come to us are the ones that are saying um, that are saying i need to go in a new direction we need to capture a new audience we've got innovation we don't know what our innovation is really solving the bigger challenges aside from how do I increase velocity? How do I increase sales? Um, and the ones, you know, I would like to say that we have a couple of landmark ones where we did exponentially better than others, mm -hmm. but it's pretty common for us that we hit it out of the park every single time um, because we attract those types of clients that are um, I, I want to say the word risk takers. They're a little bit more risk takers, meaning that they're not afraid. Um, brands that come to us that are afraid of change or afraid of not getting it, not getting it right, typically won't come to us and, and work with us because change sometimes is a whole level of anxiety that they're not, not accustomed to, or they um, may feel like they get out over their skis working with us because we do touch so many parts of an organization. For us, branding, it, branding or brand development isn't simply, here's your packaging, good luck. We right. touch operations. 90% um, of the time, there's something going on within an organization that's an established organization that um, there's something going on conflict with their stated goal and mission as a brand. And we wanna 
clean that up. So we might come back and say there might be some operational efficiencies. Um, we might recommend some staffing additions or um, everything from everything from supply chain to should we have a drive-through? I mean, we've we've like if you're going to be this brand, these are all the elements that you want to have internally. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of like the big 30,000. Yeah. That's not a 30,000, but that's like a 5,000. <laughs> right, sure. No, that's great. And I uh, I talk a lot about culture too, like um, branding from the inside out and that yeah. right in alignment if your culture needs help or if you're, you know, like you said, the operations needs some assistance in, in making some clarity happen so that the brand can be better represented. Yeah. I think that's that's true. And I think employees really can help uh, from the inside out, make that happen. So then when they're working with their customers, you know, they, they can um, make sure that it's in alignment, right? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Your employee, if your employees are not in alignment with your leadership, you're going to, you're not going to win. When we worked on the rebrand of REI, this is back in 2001, 2002. This is um, before what they look like now. They were still kind of a warehouse brand. The mm -hmm. biggest challenge they had in from a growth perspective was their frontline employees not in a not being in alignment with their leadership and their leadership because they're a co-op having a little bit of sense of trepidation of making some big um, big changes within the organization because you can technically be voted off the island when you're a co-op you know you don't lose your job because your sales are bad you could lose your job because your employees or your hardcore um, consumers are upset that you change the supply chain or that the shopping experience, right? Um, and so there was, for us, I mean, you're saying culture feeler component within the entire operations, but for us, there was a, how do you now take your, now going to rebrand yourself, we'll use REI as an example. How, we have identified this massive opportunity uh, um, a consumer that's hungry for a certain type of expertise in retail experience. And um, we need to now educate the employees starting at HQ through the frontline employees and kind of help them feel like they're seeding the change instead of it being somewhat of a mandate, right? Because um, you have your hardest core in, in co-ops, you have your hardest core um, employees are your hardest core fans. That's what I should say. I mean, and it's even true with brands like Patagonia or Whole Foods. Your biggest fans are the people that work for you. And if you mm -hmm. if you can't enroll them, then it, you're not going to succeed. Period. End of story. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. I think. Yeah. Start with the employees and then Absolutely. roll it out for sure. No, I think that's, that's a genius way to go about it. Let's back up a little bit. Tell me about your history. Like, what what drove you to want to be in this space, and and how did you get there? You know, was it schooling? Was it experiences? Maybe a little bit of both. But like, where? And I know you're from Seattle. Are you originally from Seattle? Tell, kind of walk me through your path. Sure. So I, I mean, I pretty much lived. And my parents um, moved us up from California when I was a kid. So I've pretty much lived in the Seattle area my entire, in my entire life. Um, really, I was one of those. I, I want to say it was one of those um, artisty type of people. I did go to University of Washington, and in my junior year, I was in a. Uh, I was in a marketing program and you want to be creative. 
the University of Washington is not for you. Now, this was in the 90s, so I don't, it's not, I can't say it's representative, but he said, you need to go to one of these art schools. And in my head, I had identified that I wanted to be a copywriter, that that was my dream, specifically for advertising. I was in love with Ogilvy. So I left the University of Washington with a partial degree in marketing, went off to art school here in Seattle called the School of Visual Concepts and was taking copywriting classes and kind of was going down that path of I wanted to be a creative. At the same time, I was working for a very large insurance company, which was the biggest um, mishmash being in creative <laughs> services and really like all about breaking rules and working for a very rigid system. Safeco was the name of the company mm -hmm. and it was pretty much run by all the leadership were like ex-military. So there's lots of rules and regulations. Women wore skirts and pantyhose at the time. It was very, um, it was just very much that way. And I eventually left there because it was not a good fit for me. And I started moving into creative services. And that was in the late 90s is when I, w I went to create a firm. Then I went to a dot-com. And then the um, dot-com bust happened. Right. And I found bomb, my right <laughs> the dot bomb of the era. Dot <laughs> bomb. It was yeah. it was um, scary. I was in my twenties. I just purchased my first house. Or what did is that was I? No, I wasn't. I hadn't purchased my first home yet quite then. But it was the first time where I had I had not been employed, and it was scary. And so I took a job in a related industry, which was in paper um, in creative services back before back before there were computers on desks everywhere. We printed everything on paper. And so I worked for a distributor and, um, Oh, you know what? I missed really something really important. when I left Safeco and I went to creative services, I was fortunate. This um, firm was called workhouse doesn't exist anymore. Landed the Jane Goodall, she started started an institute, Jane Goodall Institute, and I was a production manager at the time. And Jane Goodall specifically tasked me with finding paper that was had left no environmental impact, was 100% sustainable, and paid fair wages. This is before the Google. This was before computers where we could search for anything. And here I was in 1999 literally getting up at three and four o'clock in the morning and calling all around the world. I was calling all around the world, networking, trying to find manufacturers of paper that were sustainable. And she was so passionate and so adamant about what it was that I just kind of got swept up into her, mm -hmm. into her world. And then went through the dot-com thing, went through a couple of changes, went to the, and that went into the paper industry where I was able to go, oh my gosh, look at the volumes of paper that we're going through and right. started to learn more about certifications around. Um, recycled paper was kind of an anomaly in 2001, it was not very well manufactured. And so I went through, worked at a couple of distributors and I became kind of like the de facto environmentalist in the Northwest when it came to designers needing a product. So I, I learned about paper manufacturing altogether, but that was kind of like the genesis. And then since then, there's always been this sort of activist component in me, regardless of where 
I've gone within the organization. So here we are at Retail Voodoo. There's an activist component between the Gooder podcast and a lot of what we're doing at Retail Voodoo mm -hmm. um, in this whole business should be a force for change or force for good. Right. And sustainable growth is important. I think that that is more and more becoming something that people are accepting. And, you know, even my 12 year old wants me to get a Tesla because it's, you know, electric <laughs> instead of gas powered. Right. And of course, I'm like, I've done my job. I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, honey, we're going to get a leaf. No, no, the, echo, the no, we need, we can't do a leaf. We, we got to get the Tesla mom. Of, of course. course. Yeah. 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 So now every time we drive by one, he's like, that's a Tesla Model 3, Mom. <laughs> They're like, okay, you know, my 12-year-old's on to something here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so, okay, you, you kind of shared, you know, your, your path to where you are now. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about, I mean, we're kind of slowly starting to maybe come out of this pandemic craziness, and, you know, a lot of retailers have, have suffered significantly, yeah. right? And, and I don't know if any of your clients but have, but if, you, if they have, like, what are some things you're doing to help sustain them and, and grow them and still get them kind of on the other side of, of you know, this pandemic? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that the biggest challenge that not just retailers, but consumer packaged goods have is actually not any different than before. It's just a little bit more uh, visible. Mm -hmm. And that is, especially now, there's only so many ways to communicate with potential consumers. Mm -hmm. There's only so many ways to communicate new ideas, new brands. Well, even if you are communicating those ways, there's just so much noise and so many people online right now, it's just, you got to cut through it. Right. And, and so getting through that. Well, it's a matter of getting those folks understanding the rea the reality behind what a media spend might look like. So everybody's like, Oh, well I'll just become a DTC or I'll go through Amazon or I will do social advertising or I will do digital advertising for the really big brands, the multinationals, that is easy for them. They can shift their spend from events, they can shift their spends from other places that they were spending into digital. The problem is, is that the, all of that becomes more expensive now because there is a greater demand, there's a greater push, and these small to mid-sized brands don't have the marketing power to be able to eat against like a, a General Mills or a PepsiCo or a Tesla, you know, insert whatever category that you're going into. And so we kind of boil it back down to what Retail Voodoo does. If you, are, if you develop a brand and you can get laser focused on who you are and what you stand for, it makes it so much easier to communicate. You know exactly where your audience is. You can get very clear and finite about your messaging because you aren't trying to talk to everybody. Because if you're a $158 million brand or if you're a $5 million brand, for you to double would be awesome. You're a multi-billion dollar brand. You need to hold on to your margin. You need to hold on to your sales. You, don't, you can't drop 1%. 1% is catastrophic. So they have to sell. They have to, they have to keep pushing. So getting clear when you're in a smaller brand, getting clear about who you are and who your customer consumer is, because you can then do the type of advertising that isn't going to break the bank for you. You don't have to decide, do I need to spend my entire year's advertising budget 
on this one campaign. Like you don't, we don't want the smaller to mid-sized brands to have to feel like they have to do a Super Bowl ad in order for them to kind of get the visibility. We'd rather them spend 15 bucks on Facebook or 25 bucks on Facebook, but know their audience so well mm -hmm. that they know exactly what to say to get that another 5,000 people to try a product in Seattle or another you know, million people to have awareness on the West Coast or whatever. So you can get very targeted when you know what you stand for, who your consumer is, what they want to hear, why you're important to them. So it's all about that brand building. Excellent. No, I, I agree. And the more you can narrow focus on who you're targeting, the, the better your spend is going to be, right? I mean, that's part of maybe what you do is testing the messaging and, and you know, spend small to then later bit, spend big on what you know that works, right? Yeah. And you don't even, I mean, it's, it's all relative small and big, right? You know, if you're 5 million, if you're 300 million, if you're, even if you're 1 billion is still small compared to some of the big guys. Um, you could do the A-B testing, but you can, do, it's so much easier to compete against the big guys because the big guys have to be more general in their messaging. They can get, they can slice and dice and they can do all sorts of targeted advertising by persona. Like, you know, they've got a hundred personas and they can A-B test the snot out of them. But it's so much easier for a smaller brand to, or small to mid-sized brand to do that because you just got your couple of messages. Again, you only need to grow by X. You're not trying to salvage, you're not trying to salvage billions of dollars. You're trying to grow by millions of dollars. Right. And so, yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> so, okay, what are some um, marketing strategies and tactics that you as an agency have taken or that have helped you grow your business in, in terms of with you and your partner? Like, what are some things you do uh, to, to make new business come through your doors? Mm-hmm. Well, be no surprise. I mean, if this is uh, just like what we talked about for us this year, this year through the pandemic, um, digital advertising, we've, we've invested in digital advertising for the first time and it's working surprisingly well at shock, shockingly. Nice. Traditionally, um, I have been very much a relationship builder. So I've gone to events. I go to events all year long my our best relationships our best clients are the ones that i've been talking to at events that i i know their kids we've had 14 conversations over the years by the time we're working on something there's some camaraderie and a relationship already there not to say that people don't come in the door and you know because we are in business to make money we're in business for them to make money too so not everybody wants to be a best friend we get that at the end of the day we want to make our clients right. successful but I find that the ones that are most fulfilling and the ones that grow that end in long-term business are the ones that we've grown organically that way. Uh, again, the digital advertising shockingly has been new for us. We didn't expect it to. So I would say that, and of course a really good SEO refresh, but nothing fancy. Like we're not, we're not going nuts and sending out mailers or anything. I suppose we could, but I, we're, we don't have the appetite for that because this other tactic is working. Right. So what are, what are some events that you miss going to that you can't wait to get back to again once the mm -hmm. 
with the pandemic and, you know, the quarantine sort of lays, lays off a little bit. Yeah. So the, the shows that I, the, there's only one real, maybe two shows. There's two shows that I miss going to because I've been going to them now for 10 years and it's like family, which is um, Natural Products Expo. That's our clients. 99% of our clients are natural, better for you brands. We know that category. We can, we can work on these brands, you know, day after day. It's not a stretch. We know the consumer really well. Um, so I would say that one. And then the show that I miss going to that I don't really attend all that much anymore is one called outdoor retailer. And that one used to be in Salt Lake city. It's now in Denver. It's hosted a couple, three times a year and it's really the outdoor space, skis and running shoes and those kinds of things. Um, I don't, the interesting thing is that the outdoor category is really filled with it's a little bit, um, ooh, I don't know if I like this word or not, but incestual kind of thing. Like um, um, most of the people that work in the industry are former athletes and they give credibility to other former athletes. And so you can be an expert in your related category, but if you haven't, you know, scaled Mount Everest or you haven't um, swam the ocean, there's a, there's a little credibility issue there. And I, I while I've done those types of, no, I haven't climbed Mount Everest. While I have been athletic in my past, now that I have kids, not so much. Um, I don't want to compete that way. It's very competitive in that way, and it works really well for a certain type of person. I do find, probably because I love food, all anything that's food-related are a natural fit for me simply because I like it. And then we just deep, deep, deep experience in food and beverage. Deep, yeah. Well, I imagine working uh, on food brands is that's a perk that you get to at least try it and, and uh, you know, taste it and, and, you know, love it. Because if you don't love it, then, you know, it's harder oh, to market something that you don't love. But tell me, tell me, what are some some foods that you love that you get to help brand and, and market? Oh, you know, so I'm going to tell you a couple of my favorites are. A couple of my favorites were, um, well, I'll tell you Russell Stover, which is not in naturals, but it's because chocolate is my favorite. My favorite. <laughs> I love chocolate. That's awesome. <laughs> chocolate and peanut butter together. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, the, but the ones that I think were the most satisfying for me might not be brands that people know of. One is Loma Linda, which is owned by Atlantic Natural Foods, and it's the oldest vegan brand uh, in, I don't know if it's in the world or in the United States, but it was started by the Kellogg's brother over a hundred years ago. Wow. And um, we were able to take this brand that was kind of, you know, floating along. It wasn't really growing and we were able to help them reconfigure, re understand who their real target mar uh, audience was. Vegans and vegetarians weren't as big of a marketplace up until, you know, about 10 or 15 years ago. And then this whole concept of flexitarianism came out. So what my favorite part of that brand was, is they had said, they had asked us, what kind of, what's our gift back? What's our, what's our mission outside of just growing business? And they're based in North Carolina. And one of the things that we identified for them was they lived in North Carolina where there is a very large percentage of unemployment and so people who rely on government assistance for food programs. And they were like, well, you know, what can we do? And we said, why don't we start by 
um, educating your local community uh, and growing this, you know, because this is something that I'm passionate about. One of the things that we see in the naturals category or that I've identified in the naturals category is it's a very exclusive group. It's very um, white, upper, upper middle class type of industry. And if you are, if you are not um, well to do and if you don't fit that kind of classic demographic, you are not exposed to a lot of education, nor can you afford a lot of the product that's being out there that's a better for you product. Mm -hmm. So being able to take a brand like Loma Linda and have them start giving away food in their area and teaching people what a vegetarian diet can do for them and teaching them how to cook with these kinds of ingredients. I was like, that was like really fantastic because they were really bringing what they stood for to their local audience. It wasn't, um, it was just so, it was really, really great. Um, so we did that. Uh, we also, uh, we also suggested that they might consider um, raising the minimum wage for the people that worked in manufacturing so that they can, um, they could also afford more frequently some of those vegetarian products and, um, and share it with their with their neighbors. That one, and then another one that we worked on just earlier this year, that is a brand that Tia Maori or Mori is um, involved in, and, and it's called You Are the Answer. And she and her team wanted to build a brand. And they came to us about this time last year, and they said there are no uh, there are no supplement brands that talk to black or African-American women. Um, if you look at, and, and as you start to look out there at all of these supplement brands, you'll notice that it's all like very predominantly white, Caucasian, upper middle class lifestyles. And then they bring in the people of color to kind of say, you guys are part of it. But the messaging isn't really targeting the need states of these women and what's important to them, their hair, their health, their skin, their nails are more important than to Caucasian women and, and other type of groups of women. And Tia said, had some health issues in her past. And she's like, I, I want to bring this idea of supplements to, to my, my network of people so that they can start having healthier lives. Um, the yeah, the education that came from that and that that was really the big for me or for our team, that was the big aha moment that was that was the unveiling at how insulated the naturals industry was. And that, that's really part of the reason why Retail Voodoo has, um, you know, we joined B Corp. So we're B Corp certified. My Gooder podcast is about um, elevating those voices as well. It, there was just such an aha moment, like it was staring at us in our face the whole time, and it was, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. So those are the two big where I learned more. That's kind of selfish. Where I or our team learned more were the big ones versus what we were able to do for them. Now, the TMO one, the You Are the Answer, that brand is just exploding. It's started up in January, and it's just off the rails right now. That's great. That's fun to be a part of that story and history and how you can change the trajectory of an entire industry, really. 
right? Yeah, hopeful. Like I'm hopeful, yeah. you know, baby steps. It's one brand. It's one brand. Um, and there are other brands. We worked with um, we worked with another brand that launched this year, which is really focusing on traditional Chinese medicine. Um, in for American culture and then bringing that in like it's super important for us to have these influences to meet the needs of everybody so yeah I I don't know if I'm really answering your question but oh and I was going to ask too for those that don't know exactly what a B Corp is can you elaborate a little bit more it's you know sustainable but but share a little bit the process you had to go through in order to become a certified B Corp is pretty extensive just maybe just an overview of what a B certified B Corp really is so a B Corp is a certification that a company can get. It can be any industry. It's not related to anything. And basically, just like any other kind of certification, there are some rules. There's some rules and goals that you need to be able to meet for certification. And the end goal is the B Corp is a community of companies that have said business is a force for good. And what and underneath that guidelines, there are things like how you run your business, how you, what kind of transparency you have, like um, things like everybody share, like we share people's, everybody knows what um, salaries look like, you know what your path for progression is within an organization, you, you adhere to environmental standards, you um, supply health benefits that are equitable for all groups, like one of the things one of the things that um, the hardest thing for us as a small business uh, from a B Corp standpoint is the health benefits are pretty significant, the minimum threshold on health benefits because um, the, the um, I don't know what you call it, with the premiums, the, the out-of-pockets, the specific things that need to be covered can be pretty expensive for a smaller organization. And then, of course, this kind of commitment to for um, for all people regardless of race and gender uh, religious affiliation um, all of those like everything that you can think of when it comes to environment equity financing and then also what is your end impact as a business and your end impact as a business really is supposed to be about more than just simply making a profit so it took us recycling and there's so much more to it that, that and to maintain it too you you have to continue to maintain the certification yes. and and do things on an ongoing basis and i think it's very commendable because there are um a lot of components to that so congratulations on being certified as a, as a well it's it's very rigorous it took us three and a half years it took us three and a half years to you know, operationally make all of the moves that we needed to, but it was a commitment that we wanted to make. You, know, you can be a good company, you can be a business that's a force for good without the certification. Like I don't want any, I don't wanna go on record saying you must be a B Corp in order to be good. The thing that I love about being a B Corp is I'm surrounded by a community of other businesses that are on the same mission and I can reach out to them when I need help. I like, there's that network that's there. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So just a couple more and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. But I wanted to know um, who has, who's like either mentored you or inspired you or, or kind of, you know, helped you along the way. That is, that is a hard one because um, 
it's not hard. It's kind of hard to narrow down because there hasn't been like necessarily a singular person. There are the people that have mentored me because they exist like the Oprah Winfrey's and the Michelle Obama's, the people who came from nothing and they are crushing it. Like get me on that path. I want some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I put them there on my, like when I think of um, when I get into a sticky point, I'm like, what would Oprah do? What would Michelle do? What would Martha Stewart do? Also another person who came out of a sticky situation. Right. And, and RuPaul, which that's a whole another topic. I love my RuPaul. Um, Then there are the people that I meet along the way. And I would say that my husband is actually my business partner and he has been, um, he has been really great for me in that he has challenged me to accept the things that I'm really good at because I'm the first one to say, I'm not good at something. I can't do this. And he'll be like, look at what you did here, here, and here. So he helps me see what I refuse to see in regards to where my strengths are. I also have, um, there are a few people that I think without them, I couldn't really be here. One, and, and they end up being close friends, right? There's, everybody has that, like the Beth Corbett's of the world, the Kate Ruffings of the world. These people who, um, the Nancy Apthorps of the world, these are people who have been in my life for a very long time. They don't necessarily have expertise in the place that I do, but they'll be the first one to give constructive criticisms, praise when it's due, let me have a panic attack or freak out when I need to. Um, and then there's a couple of recently that have helped me with Gooder. Um, Rebecca Remley from Wetherspoon, she has um, helped me by guiding me through a network of people that I didn't have access to. Um, another woman, who did I meet? recently that I just was like, I want to be you when I grow up. Um, (laughs) There's impactful people for sure. Yeah. Jane Miller from, she's the CEO of Lily Sweets. Um, That, you know, these people out there who just, they exist and they've demonstrated professional um, compassion. I thought I've never used that term, but professional compassion. They, they see what I'm up to and they guide me by just demonstrating what it's like to be a good leader and how to help other women up the food chain, if that makes any sense. I love that. You, you, you coined the term um, professional compassion. I think I've not heard that before. I love it. I think that's, that's, a, that's a book title right there or something. There you <laughs> Maybe go. another podcast title for you. Yeah. It'll be my first book. Yeah, there you go. I own that title, girl. That's right. Yep, yep. I I know. We'll give you credit where credit is due. (laughs) So, okay. Um, on that note, speaking of books and podcasts and things, what are some what are some podcasts or or books or resources that you frequent a lot that you can share with our our audience to to say you've got to read this or you've got to listen to this? What is it that you what fills your ears and eyes? Everything. Um say is there is um I don't particularly go to one place on a regular basis the the things that I am a fan of first of all kind of along this line of business as a force for good that I don't remember the name the author of this book but he is um he's the co-founder of Whole Foods and he wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism 
And it's a book that we give to all new employees. It's academic, it's really dry, but if you are a business owner or you aspire to be a business owner and you want to be one of those people that want to leave kind of this indelible mark in your industry or on this planet or whatever, it's a book that I really suggest everybody read um, simply because it's going to give you that kind of foundational, like this is what conscious capital is, the capitalism is. I like it a lot. Again, dry. Um, I'm also a fan of, I'm, this is an oldie, this is speaking of Oprah. I have this on my desk. A Daybook of Comfort and Joy. It's really like a page of like getting your mindset for the day. It, it was on like Oprah's, Oprah recommended it, I want to say back in 1846. I've had the book forever <laughs> and I've read each day. There's something new in there and I've read a day over and over and over again. But there's just something just that's a little kind of grounding and there's so many resources that are simple that are that are simple like that and say the title one more time it kind of did the computer like oh uh, sorry yeah voice. of course yeah it's called simple abundance a day book of comfort and joy and it's not about business it's just about getting your head in the game it's not even a five minute read and it's just a way to set it's just a way to set your day it's just kind of put you on on that path to the future. I can't say that there is a podcast that I'm listening to with any regularity. There are so many right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, so usually I fall back on no surprise. Um, I, I will always listen to Oprah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. The ones that have automatically downloaded and you know, that you've set to automatically download every time there's a new one. That's, that's good. Yes. Yes, I will say I love um, I love myself some NPR. Wait, wait, don't tell me is probably my favorite thing to listen to that downloads on my on my phone. I love that show. So goofy and news related, but not in a depressing way. It just kind of makes fun of everything in kind of um, uh, academic way. I know, super weird, nerdy. Check that out. Okay, so it's uh, NPR. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Wait, wait, don't tell me. It's okay. on the weekends. It's goofy. It's about thirty minutes. Uh huh. Oh, it's just, um, you know, stuff to escape. I'm like so knee deep in business all day long and, um, and then have a family to take care of. And so when the weekend shows up or I have some free time, I tend to want to escape from work. I tend to want to escape from politics oh, and yeah. all of that stuff. And I just kind of want to, um, yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So let's see. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they? How do they reach you? Where are you at on your in your social worlds and, and things? Yeah. Yeah. I um, LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. It's my favorite. I'll tell you. I'm one of the early LinkedIn people. I get an email from them every year that says, "Congratulations! Well, um, happy birthday! Another year. Remember your number. Blah blah blah." I'm like in the low, low, low millions. Nice job. That's um, awesome. And so it's kind of fun for me. So I love LinkedIn. I'm a super networker out there. For those people that just want to, and you can communicate that way. But if you want to just send a direct email. You can send an email to me um, at work. It's D-I-A-N-A dot F-R-Y-C at retail-voodoo.com. Um, I don't do Facebook connecting. I need that world to be really small so I can vent when I need to vent. So <laughs> don't find me there. 
Don't listen to a lot of people, um, you know, purging people that they don't want to follow anymore on Facebook. And I've, I've often thought, man, I need to do that too. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I just, I, yeah, I just need, you know, I need some space where I can, and I find it's getting close to, it's almost like a small group of friends and family where I can like talk about things mm-hmm. and, and people can disagree with me and it doesn't erupt into a thing, you know, right, right. I don't mind disagreement. What I don't like is fighting and there's a distinction there totally I understand that too uh where do you see yourself in five years from now where's the agency what are you doing who are you helping what's your dream you know what's gonna happen in five years do you think in five years oh I can't even see in the next week (laughs) okay okay I can relate to that too (laughs) okay so if I was to be like what's my dream okay I, I want to be making a bigger impact. I want to be working with the biggest brands in the world, changing the way consumers, uh, changing consumer health. Right now, um, we have a very large population of people who are dying of diet-related illnesses, and I want to have I want to be working with the biggest brands in the world to change that because they've got the resources to make those changes. So professionally, and I don't really know what that looks like, but that's what I'd like to do. On the other side, personally, I would love to have a vacation home if you can help me figure that out. (laughs) And I have kids still, they're getting a little bit older. And from five years from now, I may not need one, but I would love to have, do you ever watch the Brady Bunch? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want an Alice I want an Alice. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> I want an Alice in every way, shape, and form. I want an Alice. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Now that theme song's going to be stuck in my head. <laughs> <Great event. laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. No, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, okay, so what's the one thing that you want to leave the marketing expedition listeners with uh on their marketing journey what's what's one thing that you can share that uh you want to to part with today well i would i i would like to say that this would be true with anybody and regardless of whether they're in marketing or if they're an engineer their public service and that is that every decision that you make for yourself is pointing you in a direction And you just need to remember that if you want to be a force for good, or if you want to be a millionaire, or if you want to be the best dressed person at the next party, there are a million different steps that go between where you are to get to that goal. And that it's, there's patience involved. I am notoriously bad at being patient because I like instant results. So I have to take my own advice and just remember that you just have to stay on the path and it's okay. If you fall off the path, just get up and go, what am I doing? So maybe really what my goal is, maybe what, what I want to say is figure out what your goal is and know that there's a a bunch of steps in between here and there. And that um, it doesn't matter if it takes you 20 years or two months to get there just take it at the speed that works for you. I love that. Good advice. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Marketing Expedition Podcast today, Diana. This has been great to, to listen and, and learn from you and for our listeners. Um, until next time, enjoy the journey. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Find more online at peppershock.com. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.